Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Good morning. My name is Jacob, and I'm on staff here at Grace, and we are just so glad to have you. And we are so glad uh, that you're joining us. Maybe this is your very first time, in which case, extra special hullabaloo connect connect to you. Uh, And maybe this is your time, this is your third, fourth, 500th time. And listen, you need to graduate from college. That's number one today. Uh, but man, where, whether you're joining us for the very beginning or maybe you're, you've been here all semester, you are jumping into something that I love. You're jumping into a study of, a, of the life of David, a historical biblical figure who was king over all of Israel. And he's looked at as the greatest king that Israel ever knew. He's this king that was uh, mighty and impressive. He expanded the borders. He, he did all these amazing things and all these incredible accomplishments. And yet, when we look at the life of David that's told to us through Scripture, we see see that, that his life wasn't all just joyous, awesome, fun time. Like what we see is that his life actually had a lot of ups and downs. It had a lot of struggle and difficulty. It had a lot of uh, uh, issues that arose as he was seeking out to, to live in this mission to, to fulfill this destiny that God had given him. God told him as a young kid, he says, you're going to be the next king over all of my people, over all of my nation. And yet it took David 15 years from that moment to actually ascend to the throne. And so when we look at the life of David, what we see is, is this incredibly humbling tale. And, and what's so beautiful is as we look at his humility, we don't just see it in his actions, right? We don't just see it in what happened to him, but we see it in his heart. Because as Lacey just read, we get to see the words that David wrote during the experiences he was having. We get to see the emotion that he felt in the experience through the Psalms. We're looking at his stories. We're looking at his Psalms. We're, we're better understanding the heart of this man who God looked at and said, He has the heart I want for my people. He has a heart that's in line with my own. And it's a heart that was revealed by his world, but then refined by his God through moments that were often very, very difficult. This morning, we're not just looking at David, though. We are also going to look at a marvelous sandcastle as created by two stellar volunteers right here in our midst. Lacey, who just read the scripture for us, and Dylan are going to come up uh, from wherever they are. We're all going to be very excited for them. They're going to come up, and we're going to say, yay, Dylan, and they say that they are. And uh, they are going to build a sandcastle. You probably can't see because it's over here because it weighs 3,000 pounds, but we are getting a sand cam getting up and going so that you can see it. Hopefully, it's going to come through. Okay, but there, I promise there is a sand pit, okay? It's here. It's real. Look, I'll pick up sand. Look at that. That's sand. You can kind of see it. You can't really if you're too far away, but that's sand. Ugh, ugh. Gross. <laughs> I don't like it, uh, but it's here. Okay, but here's the thing. You're not going to get to see it right now. You'll see it in a second, but Dylan and Lacey, they're going to start constructing a sand castle in this pit, and it's going to be amazing. All right, so Dylan, what do you think qualifies you to build an incredible sand castle? Um, well, I've, uh, I've been uh, doing it for at least 37 years yeah. now. Wow. So uh, I really think that, like, I can see the sculpture within the sand. Oh, I just need to bring it out. Oh. You know what I'm saying? That's beautiful. That's amazing. Right. It's like the, uh, you, just, you just chip away all the sand. You get rid of the sand that's not a castle. Yeah, and then you're left with this. Oh, hey, okay. So there's, there's Jake, one of our wonderful. Okay, here we go. All right, so here, I promise. As I said, it's here. It's real. It's here right now. This is a sandcastle. It's frozen. Okay, see, look, live feet. It's real. 
they're going to be building a sandcastle. Don't worry about them. We'll come back later. But this morning, uh, as they're building a sandcastle, we're going to now cut away from them. We're going to go back to slides because that would be so distracting during the beginning, though. You're seeing the beginning process. Good start, guys. Great start. So we're going to see David's heart revealed through moments and experience in his life that looked a lot like this. That's hard, right? That's hard. The reality is that, man, when we look at our lives, there's this inevitable flow of time. And it's unstoppable. And there's going to be, over the course of that time, over the course of that flow of those years, uh, we're going to lose things, right? Things are going to fall away. They're going to slip out of our grasp. And we're going to miss really cool things like cute little smiles, right? Those, those are just going to go away. That brother's not going to smile at her for a while, right? When he's like 12 to 30. Like, that's just going to happen, And when we see these things slip away, we're left with one of two options. We can either accept that loss, we can move on, or we can try to desperately cling to what we once had. We can desperately just try to wish that it was back in our grasp. And and many times, honestly, we default to that, right? On some level, we've all experienced loss. We've had things taken away from us, whether it's a relationship or a position. No matter how tightly we hold on to it, it's it's gonna just slip away. College itself is loss. Right When you showed up your first day of college, you maybe didn't realize it, but you were losing so much, right? The start of college is defined by the fact that you are losing all of your status, right? All of your accomplishments. Some of us, we wanted that clean slate. Some of us, we looked at it, we we're like, what happened, right? Like I was, I was first chair, cello, and suddenly no one cares. Like no one cares you're like man i was i was the star you know running back or i was i was the best volleyball spiker Uh, that's not a position but like you you had these positions you had these roles you had these accomplishments you had this prestige right you were the vice president of your honor society oh way to go right (laughs) but it's gone it's just gone. All status is lost. In, in fact, just to even make things worse, if you even try to bring that up, as you talk about those things that you went through, as you're telling people your story, you find out that you know, you're actually surrounded by a bunch of former valedictorians and, and former vice presidents of honor societies. Right? You are surrounded by 68,603 really qualified people, like really accomplished people. And so when you look at your life, when you look at, at what you've built for yourself, the little kingdom you've constructed at the start of college, it's just, it's gone. It slips away. And for some of us, that was really, really hard. Some of us are still dealing with it. And so when we look at the life of David, what we realize is that he's going to, he's going to experience incredible loss. And what's so beautiful is that in his response, we see this heart that's willing to trust the Lord in that loss. We're seeing a heart that's willing to, that's willing to turn away from the temporary things that, that, that aren't worthy of his trust. We're going to see him, though, learn that lesson in a very difficult 
way. Uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 19, we see that uh, there's this harmful spirit that the Lord allowed to come upon Saul. And so as Saul, the, this kind of insane king of Israel, as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, right? You know, like when you're sitting around, you got that spear in your hand. So he's sitting around, he's got his spear, this spirit comes upon him, and David was playing the lyre. So he, David is performing this music that's supposed to calm him in his, in his house. And Saul then sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so, he, so that Saul struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and he escaped the night. Right? Immediately what we're seeing right here transpired. David's been on this incredible mountain peak. He's been, he's been winning battles. He's been gaining fame. People love him. He's handsome. He's awesome. He's married to the king's daughter. Right? He has all this prestige, all this renown. He has this incredibly lofty position. And right here he loses it. Right? That's what's happening. Generally it's a bad sign when like your boss tries to kill you with a spear. Like if, that's, if that happens to you, like Chick-fil-A, you need to leave. Like that is not a good place. That is not anyone's pleasure. Like, you need to get out. You need to make sure that you're in a position, right? You want to be in a place where people aren't trying to kill you. David is realizing, wow, if I stay here, if I stay in this position, if I hold on to these accomplishments, onto the status, I'm going to die. And so he leaves, right? He flees. He loses that position. And it's something that maybe a lot of us have experienced. We realize, man, that GPA, it, it doesn't matter from high school. And you know, the reality is the GPA that you're gaining right now, it's not going to matter. Five, 10 years, it's going to be gone. Some of us are like, yes, <laughs> bring the day, you know, but that's, that's a hard thing to recognize. The organization you're a part of that, that, that you give your blood and your sweat and your tears, I mean, it's, it's just going to, it's not going to need you. You're going to graduate, right? That position is going to end. You're going to leave this place and you should see it coming, right? Because you did the same thing in high school, but so many times we're, we're in denial, we're clouded. And, and when we leave college, our identities get rocked. I've seen it. Where our identities just get rocked because we were defining ourselves as, oh yeah, I'm the I'm the co-chair of this thing, or I'm the I, I'm the executive of this thing, or I'm I, I'm dating this person, or I'm whatever it might be. This position that we have that suddenly is gone, and we're like, well, who am I? Because more than anything else, it is so easy to wrap up our very identity with the position that we hold, and the reality is that those positions are temporary. David runs away from this position. He loses it. And so Saul sends messengers to David's house to watch him, right? Because he runs home. Saul knows this. And so Saul's spying on him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, hey, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael is Saul's daughter, David's first wife. And, and she's, tell, she's helping him out. She's like, hey, you got to get out of here. I see, you know, my dad sent Bob and he's looking at us, right? So like, you're going to die because Bob's insane. You need to get out. And so what's so cool is she helps David escape. She gets him kind of out the door or she lets him down through the window and he fled away and he escaped. But this is the best part. So then Michael, she takes an image. Okay, so she takes basically like a scarecrow. She takes a mannequin and she lays it on the bed and puts a pillow of goat's hair at its head, covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent his messengers to take David, she's like, oh, he's sick. So she Ferris Bueller's this moment where Saul's guys are like, where's David? Right? They're, they're sharpening their knives. And she's like, oh, he's sick. And it's like, he's like just over there, this mannequin. She's like, oh, they're like, and he smells terrible, right? But he's very, very sick. I love this because then Saul sends the messengers. They come back 
to, to Saul, and they're like, oh, he's sick, he's in his bed. And so Saul sends him to see David, saying, well, bring him up to me in the bed so I can kill him, right? I love that. So I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just kill him in the bed. Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> so he sends him back, uh, and they find out it's a, it's a fake, and Michael says, well, David threatened to kill me if I didn't help him, right? She, she betrays him. She's probably still allied, you know, allied with him secretly, but, but at least outwardly, she has to betray him. She says, oh, he's, he threatened to kill me. Which is a horrible crime. To kill the king's daughter. And so she says to me, he threatened to kill me, and so I, I had to let him go. Suddenly we see in the life of David that not only did he lose this incredible position that he had gained, but he's losing his wife, his spouse. Right? He's losing his closest companion. Right? He's losing this one person who's always supposed to be by his side, right, rain or shine. And yet what we see is that romance and relationships, they're just... They're temporary, right? They, they slip away. Your crush maybe won't like you back. Your girlfriend's going to dump you. And when that happens, when you have that messy breakup, you're going to have to go back and remove all signs of their existence from your phone and Instagram, apparently. So that when people look at your account, they say, where's 2016? Oh, yeah, Steve. You know, like that's, that's just going to happen. And you're going to recognize, you're going to realize, man, that there is just, there's this, temporal, there's this temporary nature inherent to this relationship. Your spouse, your, your, your beloved companion could, could just pass away. Right? It happens. And so then what? Right? When you lose your position, when you lose this valuable relationship, this lifelong companion, what do you do? Well, David, he then ran to his mentor. What, what David does is he flees and he escapes and he came to Samuel. Right, Samuel, the, the prophet of God who raised David up, who's, who's been this voice of wisdom and authority in David's life, and, and he finds him at Ramah, and he tells him all that Saul had done. And so Samuel says, okay, well, we got to get out of here. We're going to go to Naoth. We're going to go to this basically network of caves, a place where a lot of people lived, and it was really easy to get lost there. It was really easy to just kind of hide out. And so David and Samuel, they run to Naoth to hide away, and yet the reality is that Saul then very quickly finds them. And David has to keep fleeing. David goes to what he sees as the ultimate source of wisdom, the ultimate source of advice and direction. And Samuel, he fails them. They get flushed out. They get flushed out by Saul. Wisdom of this world, the, the, the mentors and guidance of this world, it's, it's temporary. Teachers are going to fail you. Right? Some of us, we've seen that, where their advice doesn't hold up. Your academic advisor... It, wants to help, but sometimes they're going to fail you. They're going to tell you to take the wrong class. And you're going to be like, oh my goodness, so long early graduation or on-time graduation or within one year after my normal graduation, graduation. Like you're going to lose out on those things because that advice won't work, right? That one chapter that you really need to study, it's not going to be covered in Quizlet for you already. And you're going to be like, oh no, what do I do? You're going to realize that, man, the, the guidance and direction and wisdom of this world, it's, it's, it falls apart. The master plan you're going to create for yourself, that five-year picket fence, partner job, man, all these plans and goals, it, it could just fall apart in an instant, just like that. So then what? David, having lost his position, having lost this valuable relationship, having lost his mentor, he runs to his friend. 
He runs to, to Jonathan, right, his best bud, the son of the king, and he vows to Jonathan. He says, your father knows well that I've found favor in your eyes, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. He's telling Jonathan, your dad is trying to kill me, and Jonathan doesn't believe him. He's like, no, 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 there's no way, right? He's like, there's, that's crazy. And so Jonathan goes and kind of tests things out. They kind of give this test to Saul to see if he really is, is serious about killing David. And in fact, Saul's so serious that when he realizes that Jonathan's helping David hide, he tries to kill Jonathan with a spear. Classic Saul, right? He just chucks a spear at his own son because he's so enraged, because he's so hell-bent on destroying, on killing, murdering David. And so Jonathan comes back. He's like, David, you got to go. You got to get out. And suddenly that friendship is gone because they're temporary, right? Because some friends are going to mess up and some friends are going to betray you. I, I still have scars from, from late high school where I just, I made some life decisions, some directional decisions, and I lost really close friends in that process who were very bitter and lashed out in very harmful ways. Some of us are going to have friends that maybe we don't intentionally d- divide from, but, but, you know, jobs or time is going to kind of take us apart. And, and as that happens, as that distance increases, then we just kind of lose touch, right? Friends are going to move on. Best friends are just going to kind of drift away. And so then what do we do? Well, for David, uh, he basically hits rock bottom, right? <laughs> Having lost all of these elements of his life, he basically lands at the very just, just bedrock, because he has to rise and flee that day from Saul, and he went to Ashish, the king of Gath, which you might remember is the hometown of a little dude named Goliath, who is the champion for the Philistines. He's in Philistine territory, and when he gets there, they begin to recognize him. They're like, wait a minute, like isn't this is that that David guy? Isn't he the guy that like killed that Goliath guy that we really liked, and now he's dead, and he doesn't have a head? Gross. You know, like they're, they're recognizing him. And so David, to, to avoid recognition, he changes his behavior before them and he pretended to be insane in their hands. And he made marks on the doors of the gate, let his spittle run down his beard. And they still recognize him. They're like, no, this is definitely David. But they just assume he's lost his mind. He's abandoned all of his, he's scratching at doors. He's drooling in his beard. He's hit rock bottom. Right? He's lost not just the positions and relationships and mentors and friends of his life. I mean, he has lost his, his dignity. He's run to his arch enemy and has to act like he's gone absolutely insane. And the reality is that, that that's, we're all a step away from this. Like, we're all holding on to these, these ideas and these self-assumptions and self-identities and this, this kind of, like, self-assuredness that it's, it's temporary, right? Your reputation, your status, the way people view you, it can change in an instant. It, can, it could be both elevated and lowered simultaneously by Justin Timberlake, right? That could just happen. Apparently, that can just happen. Suddenly, you become, like, beloved, but then also just, like, People are very mean to you. I don't know if you, oh, it's very sad. Poor selfie kid. David, I think is his name. Oh, huh. uh, but <laughs> there is just the reality that we, the, the world that we live in, you, your, your status, your dignity, man, it, it's just, it, it's just, it could be lost in an instant. 
And yet in that moment, right, as David's in Gath, this is what's so incredible. As he's hit this rock bottom place where he's, he's acting like a crazy person, he's lost everything that he was holding on to in his life, right? When he's realized that, man, his, his, his very identity is, is in ruins, in the middle of that moment, when he's realizing that, that, that his accomplishments and his dreams, his relationships, that they're, that they're temporary, that they, they've fallen away, that they failed him, he writes Psalm 52. He wrote this in Gath. And as he's writing, he, he says, why do you boast about your evil plans, O powerful man? God's loyal love protects me all day long. Your tongue carries out your destructive plans. It's as effective as a sharp razor, O deceiver. He says, You're, you love evil more than good and lies more than speaking the truth. And you love to use all the words that destroy and the tongue that deceives. And yet God will make you a permanent heap of ruins. He will scoop you up, remove you from your home. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Now, many times we read these psalms when we think, yeah, David's like, ah, oh, yeah, you tell him, Dave. Like, he's, he's speaking out against these other people that have made these mistakes. But, but look at this description. Who's David talking to? Who's been scooped up, removed from his home, uprooted from the land of the living, put into a valley of death in the city of Gath and the, surrounded by enemies? David's speaking to himself. This evil man who trusts in his own ways, this, this deceiver, this, this person who's, who's prideful and, and misguided, David is referring to himself. And he says, I, I, I've, I've messed up. Right? I've lost sight of what's true. Doesn't mean I, I've been caught up in, in, in running to all these things, all these creations, and I've lost sight of my creator. He says, I've been cut off from everything and everyone that I've ever loved, that I've ever used as a refuge. He says, I see that now. So, speaking of refuges, we, oh my goodness, this is an amazing sandcastle. Okay, so we have, this is so good. All right, can you make it bigger? Do that full screen right there? Man, this is good. I'm going to go around. We're going to get some good shots. This is... This is, I, what, would you, what do you call it, Lacey? What's the title of this? Oh, look at the castle. That's good. <laughs> Straightforward, to the point. Look, there's like doors, there's windows. There's like that thing. I don't know what that is. But man, this is amazing. Oh, there's little stones that lead up to the walk. Oh, cute little smiles. That's amazing. Well, what's your favorite part of it, Dylan? Probably like, this is my place right here. Uh-huh. That's like where you, that's, that's where you live <laughs> in your mind. Oh, an elevator. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. It's in there. It's on the inside. Dude, I love it. Well, here's, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a science lesson. And we're going to study the process of erosion. To help us, I'm going to speed things up just a bit. But over the passage of time, this beautiful, beautiful castle that's just made entirely of sand. It's just temporary. It just doesn't last. And, you know, maybe this one could last. It won't. <laughs> maybe the elevator's in there. No, no, it's gone. And Dylan is so sad. I'm so sorry. Well, no, I'm not really sorry. This is, it's necessary so that we would remember sandcastles, they fail. They fail. Right? 
Sorry, I'm so sorry, Dylan and Lacey. I really am, actually. That was, that was a lot more tragic than I envisioned. But man, the reality is that we will, we will spend our lives, we will spend our, our, our time and our energy and our efforts, and we will construct for ourselves these incredible places to live, these incredible relationships to enjoy, these incredible plans for our futures, and yet over time, it's destroyed. It's gone. David saw this in his life. He saw this loss occur. And when it happens, you can respond, like I said at the very beginning, you can respond one of two ways. Right? If you're holding on so tight, if you're trying to hold on to those riches, if you're trying to hold on to that creation so tight that you never want to let go, what's going to happen is it's still going to get ripped away. And when that happens, you're going to be left with this fist of anger and bitterness. And I see it. I've done it. And I've seen it in the lives of so many of my friends and at this stage that I'm at, where it's all these young professionals, these young families with these expectations, these hopes, and these dreams. And, and as these things are ripped away, they're just furious. Uh, my daughter Charlotte is uh, three years old now. My son Lawrence has just turned one a few days ago. It's awesome. And in his life right now, he gets to enjoy the wonders of the Ergo Baby. All right? So the Ergo Baby, you're going to have to click inside the uh, purpose. There we go. The Ergo Baby, seen here uh, on my beautiful wife, if you guys don't know her. Her name is Susan. She's wonderful. Uh, Lawrence, seen here in his stocking cap, uh, is in the Ergo Baby. So I tried to get a picture where you could kind of see it. it's It's this harness, uh, this little, like, you know, pouch that you wear on your tummy that your baby sits in, right? So he sits in this. It's great. He's, he can just kind of chill out. He can just kind of hang uh, and just he'll fall asleep like that. He'll just, you know, be precious. It's wonderful. But Charlotte, my three-year-old, she will look at this uh, ergo, and she remembers doing that, right? She remembers being a baby. She knows that, hey, this is a place for babies. And yet, even as a three-year-old, she's like, I want to get in that. And she'll ask us. Every time Lawrence gets in the ergo, she'll be like, I, I, get, I get in the ergo. I get in the baby. I get that. And we're like, no, Charlotte, you're too big. She goes, what? I'm not too big. I'm a baby. I pretend. Oh, just pretend. She'll be like, just, just. she like calms us down. Like, it's just pretend. I just pretend baby. But I get in that. And we're like, no, you can't get in that. And she will lose her mind. Every single, I get to mind. And she just will, she'll lose it. Because she's so dead set on getting in that stinking kangaroo pouch. Like she wants to get in there. And she just can't. She's just too big. And, and maybe we could try to squeeze her in there at three. But man, if she's like 15 and she goes to my wife and she's like, I want to get in there. We'd be like, girl, like, <laughs> no. The time has passed. That has slipped away. You cannot get it back. And we will find ourselves with those relationships, with those statuses, with those, with those accomplishments. And as they're slipping away from us and we're trying to hold on, we are just furious that that would happen. That God would allow that to occur. That that person would get sick. That that organization would end. That that job would fall through. That, that all those hopes and those dreams and those plans, that they would just come to nothing. And yet when we look in the life of David, what we see is this incredibly different response. At the end of this chapter, he says, 
I want to change. I want to make a turn. I want to be a flourishing olive tree in the house of God. I want to be someone who's continually trusting in God's loyal love, someone who continually thanks him for when he executes his judgment. I'm going to rely on you for your loyal followers. No, you are good. David comes back and he recognizes the emotion that he's feeling. He, he sees the frustration. He sees the loss of expectations. He recognizes it. He acknowledges it. But he says, but, but this is what I know to be true. He says, I know that you're worthy of my trust. I know that you're loyally going to love me. I know that you're going to be fair in your judgments. I know that, that you're good. So, so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rely on you. Even in the middle of all these plans falling apart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just trust who you are. In the middle of all this loss and seeing all these things ripped away, I, I'm going to recognize that ultimately God is not, not pushing David towards destruction. He's pulling David towards himself. David sees that. He recognizes that, that it's, God's not acting out of spite or anger, but that he's acting out of love. That he's allowing these pieces to fall away. That, that these elements and these, these false refuges, these false riches, they're, they're falling away from David so that he will return and run to the Lord. He knows that David trying to create his own refuge is just going to lead to ruin. It's just going to be that sandcastle that falls apart. Left to our own devices, making our own dreams, making our own visions and fulfilling our own ideas of destiny. Man, that's just, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to ruin. Hi, I'm Andrew Ferguson. Now I need to talk to you about our earth and our plants. We are killing all our plants. In the second video, I will show you about... Wait, wait, you just killed the plants. You just killed all that grass that you ripped up. I thought you were here to say don't kill the plants. Cut. <laughs> David recognizes. Look at that fist, right? <laughs> David recognizes, you know, left to my own, I'm, I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna fail myself, right? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to work these things. Out. I'm gonna try to build this kingdom. I'm gonna try to develop these things, but, but ultimately, it's, it's a false refuge. It's that sandcastle that's just gonna fall apart. He says, I need to see that ultimately that God's going to take our riches to, in order to give us refuge. God methodically allows or rips these things away from David until he's forced to seek refuge in God alone. Jesus describes it as, as if this man would, would find a, a treasure in a field. And he sees the unimaginable, unfathomable worth and value of this treasure to the point where he will go and he will sell everything he has. He'll give away every property, every, every animal, every possession so that he can buy that field because he knows that treasure is there. David has to see that. He sees this. It's the hardest lesson to learn. To see everything fall away and be left with nothing except the Lord. It's an incredibly difficult process, but man, it's a wonderful destination. It's the only right perspective to, to release our plans, to hold them in an open hand. What, what, what's so beautiful is that when these things fall away, and, and maybe they stay there, maybe your plans are God's plans, and that's great. We're going to talk about that a lot more next week. We're talking about, I mean, what does it look like to, to walk in the will of God? What do we do? How do we, how do we kind of try to walk in a way that he's wanting us to walk? How do we navigate this world in his will, as we call it? But, but if we're holding these things in an open hand, 
We say, God, ultimately, I, wanna, I want you to be in control. Right? I give authority to you. If they do fall away, if they are taken away, what's beautiful is we're left with an open hand. And we're ready to praise our God for who he is and what he's done. That's what we see in the life of David. It takes him some time. We should learn from his mistakes. But rather than being left with that fist of frustration and bitterness, he has an open hand of praise for his God. And says, I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to remain with you. I'm going to plant myself next to your living water. Because I see that ultimately you give refuge. This refuge that was created, that was, that was, that was uh, ascertained, this opportunity for refuge that was, that was made because God put himself through loss. Right? We have this opportunity for refuge because God was willing to lose his son, Jesus Christ to send him out of heaven and onto earth, to live the perfect life that we could never live, to die the death that we all deserve because of our sin, because of our brokenness. And yet when he rose again three days later, he showed, man, I've got power over those things. I have a refuge and a safety that transcends any danger or failure of this world. God says, through my loss, I'm gonna give you life. This refuge is made possible by Jesus Christ losing everything to the point of death on the cross. Right? He would take on sin. He who knew no sin, he took on sin. He became sin for our sake. He took on all this burden, all this, all this, all this bitterness, all these, all these mistakes and, and failures. Man, he took it on himself so that we could be free from it. So that we could find safety and refuge in God, our Father, who loves us. And yet we find ourselves still trusting in certain riches. And I don't know what it is for you. Right? I don't know if it's, uh, you know, a plan or a person or an idea or a process or an accomplishment, an identity thing, a, 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 maybe a, a, you know, a, a, an attitude. I, I don't know what it is for you. But what, what are you holding on to so tight that you can't imagine letting go? What is it that you just can't imagine tomorrow without? We've got it. Got something in there. And I'll tell you, one of the beautiful things, one of the wonderful things to do, one of the ways to put feet on this of, of trusting that God ultimately is our refuge, that we shouldn't be trusting in our riches. God gave us a, a instruction, a discipline of fasting. And God has given us the discipline of fasting so that we might show like, hey, I'm not going to trust in these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pry open my hand. I'm going to say, God, I trust you with what we generally think of for fasting is food. We say, God, I trust you with, you know, my meal uh, for my lunches for a week or, you know, whatever it might be. And some of us, that's really crucial. Some of us, maybe we practice that discipline. Or there's seasons where we practice that discipline. We say, man, I'm going to give up these foods. Uh, I think many times that we limit fasting, we think of it as this food thing, when, when reality is, when we look in Scripture, uh, it's very open-ended. We, we can really just, the, the purpose is to offer up something that, that we're going to show to God, like, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to trust in this thing. I'm going to trust in you over this thing, whether it's my finances. I'm going to fast some 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 finances and I'm going to use that for you or, or God, I'm going to fast for me. Uh, even as I was looking at this week, I was like, man, I, I want to engage in this discipline, right? I want to hand over these things that I, I seek refuge in. And, and for me, I, I have this, this little window of time. I've got about this like 45 minute margin time in my normal day uh, where kids are down, uh, you know, my wife and I have been able to connect a little bit. We've kind of cleaned things up. We're, we're kind of ready for bed. I've got, I've got like a 45-minute window that I can do whatever I want. 
It's amazing. 45 minutes a day. And generally speaking, I will spend, as of recently, I will spend that 45 minutes with my, with my good, my good, good pal, Oh Mario, right? I do, that, that's how I spend that, that's how I've been spending that 45 minutes. Oh Mario. We hang out, we go, we find moons. It's, it's awesome, all right? So when I was looking at this week, even as I was prepping this, as I was, I was putting this uh, slides together yesterday, I, I, I was looking at this, I was like, man, you know, like thinking about not <laughs> playing Mario for a week makes me really sad, like really kind of uncomfortable. And so I was like, okay, I guess that's it. Like I, that must be it. And for some of us, man, maybe maybe it's a game. Maybe for some of us, it's a, it's a it's just Netflix. We'll, we'll watch these different things, or it's a particular show. For some of us, maybe it's social media. For some of us, maybe it's just you know browsing things online, using Reddit or or whatever it might be. But but I would encourage you to to join me this week in fasting, in essentially taking that thing that we love, taking that thing where we kind of seek out refuge, where we seek out some peace and some 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 calm, to to take that and say, God, I, I want to I want to just sort of open my hand on this and I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to carve it out of my week. And Lord, I want to give you that time instead. Join me in that. Because in doing so, we're, we're training ourselves to see, I mean, God is ultimately my refuge. Or, or I mean, another really great way that, that we put feet on this is, is we tell other people about who God is and what he's done. That's why when you came in today, that there's all these little cards that are in your seats. You might be sitting on it right now, or you might have like brushed it off on the floor, like ugh. But you should pick it up, and you should look at it. And what it is is just it's an easy opportunity for you to invite someone into the one true giver of life. It's an opportunity to invite someone to come and meet with the God who who loves you, who saved you, and who loves that classmate that you're going to talk to and invite, who loves that workmate that you're going to talk to, that roommate, that, 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 that friend, who maybe you've invited 10 times before, but you're going to talk to him one more time. And you're going to say, man, I would love for you to come with me to church this next week. I would love for you to come and just and see this thing that I, that I talk about. See this thing that's changed my life. This, this God who has just altered my eternal trajectory. Right? In doing that, in, in, in practicing evangelism in that way of, of sharing the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission, as we step forward in that, what it does is it reminds us, as we're explaining to other people the reason for our faith, the reason we do what we do, the reason we live why we live, man, it, what it does is it doesn't just communicate a really good message to those people. What it does is it reminds us of what's true. So join me this week in inviting people, handing out just that simple card. Man, I would love to see you come pick you up. I would love for you to join me in the presence of God because he's going to change your life. And I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what loss you're experiencing that you're, or that you're about to experience, but what I know is that our God is good. And what I know is that he's given us Jesus Christ and that he's given us a promise and a hope that's so much greater. So let's pray to God right now and just ask him to keep that at the forefront of our minds. God, we thank you that you've given us, Lord, just this beautiful truth, this beautiful uh, reminder that, that you're good, that you're worthy of our trust, and that, Lord, that you've warned us that this world's going to fail. Lord, you tell us in, in books like Ecclesiastes that, 
that chasing after the, the riches and power and renown of this world, it's, it's like trying to grab the wind. Lord, it's a futile effort. God, we don't want to get caught up building these kingdoms in sand for ourselves. But Lord, we want to rest on the, the rock of truth. Lord, the cornerstone that you've given us in Jesus Christ. So if you would, take a moment now and just pray to the Lord and ask him, God, what is it that I need to kind of loosen my grip on? Lord, what is it that I could hand over to you for this week? To to practice this discipline of fasting, to to carve something out of my life for the sake of, of more intentionally focusing on you. Or maybe take this moment and pray, God, God, I want you to show me, I want you to bring to my mind that, that person, that individual, that friend, that coworker, that classmate, that lab partner, that person that I can invite into life. That person who I can point towards you because God, I know that ultimately you're good and that you're the only refuge that lasts. Take a moment and pray those things to the Lord. Ask him those things right now.